Devoncast from Radio X. Hello and welcome to Devoncast, the regular podcast looking at local and regional issues in Devon, the politics, the people and how decisions here affect how we live, work and enjoy our county. I'm Guy Henderson. And I'm Alison Stevenson. On the way this week, we've got news on how the collapse of HS2 project could benefit Devon. That's going to be interesting. I've been up in Birmingham this week, uh, at the BBC on a course, Ali. It's been really exciting. I'm going next week. I can't wait. They have a Dalek up there, you know. Wow. Doctor Who fans be happy. Anyway, interesting there because the Conservative conference was on. Fancy going all the way to Manchester to tell some people in Manchester that a train's not going to Manchester. Not very popular. The HS2, that's been dominating things. We're also talking about Torquay Pavilion this week. Uh, There's something going on with the boundaries up up in Oakhampton. Yeah, there is for sure. A bit of a fight going on up there about uh, which, which houses should be where. But we'll let you all know about that later. Leveling up is on the agenda. Torbay has received a tranche of the government's levelling up money. The Torbay Health Report is out. Um, The Director of Public Health in Torbay every year produces a report on the health of the bay. That's out. We'll be chatting to him. And we've got something about Agatha Christie as well. A new statue of Agatha Christie is going up on the harbour side. Devoncast from Radio X. But Torridge Council have just, in the last few minutes, come up with an absolutely brilliant little story, which um, you can fill us in on a little bit. Yeah, OK, so earlier this, this summer, um, the council launched a competition to name four brand new waste and recycling vehicles. Um, so that's been opened up to uh, to all the public up there and, and they've come up with some ideas and we're going to reveal those later in the show. So names for bin lorries. Yeah. So you can be out there in, uh, in podcast land, you can be thinking of some names yourself. We'll tell you what the good people of Torridge came up with a little bit later on. But first of all, let's talk about HS2 and how the, the, the much-publicised national collapse of the HS2 project could actually bring some benefits for Devon. Ali? Yeah, well, um, we know there's a lot of rail fans out there, so they're going to be happy this week because um, not only is a new rail line coming to Tavistock, there's also three stations opening up. Those are all in the pipeline um, after Rishi Shunak announced that he'd be diverting the funds from the HS2 project. Um, to provide a greater frequency and quality of transport infrastructure across the whole country. So in Tavistock, celebrating because rail will return to the town for the first time in almost 60 years. Five miles of track will be reinstated to Beer Alston, linking the West Devon town with Plymouth. Trains are also going to be stopping at Columpton and Wellington in the future. Stations re- will reopen there after 60 years. On top of that, there's going to be funds to make the main line from Plymouth to Newton Abbott, which was damaged by the heavy storms in 2014, um, much more robust. And there's funding for road schemes and potholes, which I'm sure will be welcomed in Devon, which has its fair share of those. Councillor Andrea Davis, Devon County Council's Cabinet Member for Transport, who along with many others been campaigning for better rail services in our county for many years, shares her delight with us here. This is very, very welcome news for Devon and the wider Southwest. Um, the government is reallocating this funding from HS2 into all sorts of transport schemes across the country. Um, but for us, um, we already know how successful the reopening of the Dartmoor line has been. And that demand is more than double what we predicted. We are expecting when Tavs Dr Plymouth opens that it'll have a similar impact and around an extra 400,000 passengers. 
which is a lot of people and a lot of cars to take off the road, which will really help with the congestion problems on the A386, which I think we're all familiar with. Um, and I, for me, the, the recognition from the government at how important this is and the difference it will make to people in West Devon and further beyond, so visitors that want to access the National Park, the AOMB, and, and people want to do that, not using private motor cars these days. And you know we, that's to be applauded, but we need to help that by having that infrastructure. So yeah, we are thrilled to bits. Um, this is fantastic news. So the, the, the rail projects that we have in pi the pipeline in Devon, not just Beer Olsen um, to Tavistock, but also we now know that the railway station at Columpton will be funded. Um, and that will make a huge difference to another area that gets heavily congested. Columpton has major traffic problems, and I'm sure anybody that's been there will know that. Um, so that station is being developed by Mid Devon Council. Um, I'm sure they're as thrilled as I am as well to see that in increasing rail patronage. But I think I need to remind um, the listeners that 10 years ago next spring, we had that terrible incident that happened at Dawlish and the County Council has never stopped campaigning to make sure we have the resilience in our main line. Um, and that's, so we're now on phase four, that's going on at the moment, which is all to do with a rock shelter. But we've always been concerned that phase five, there was never any commitment to funding. We now have that commitment. And so you know, this is many, many millions of pounds have been put into making our route resilient and making sure that people can get in and out of the southwest and we never see what happened 10 years ago happen again. Councillor Andrew Davis talking there about improvements to the rail infrastructure in Devon and, and what might be to come. They've made a lovely job of Dawlish, you have to say, as you go past on the train. It's quite exciting, isn't it? I think it's fantastic that we've got this resurgence in rail. I do love going on a train myself. And uh, fortunately, I was there to go on the first Oakhampton train that went up to Exeter when the return of the passenger service was there. Were you on there. that? I was on there. Oh, how um, exciting. Yeah, with lots of other news people. Um, but it was it was fantastic and there was so much excitement. And uh, the, the line has been amazingly popular. And this, this will be another section. But what everyone would like to see is the Tavistock to Oakhampton and yeah. part linked yeah. up and then we'll have the whole northern route from oh. um, Plymouth to, to London. Still to come on the Devoncast, we've got uh, news of the boundaries at Oakhampton, we've got levelling up in Torbay, we've got a new statue of Agatha Christie as well. Uh, all that's still to come, but first of all, in Torbay right now, there are a few topics hotter than the pavilion. Uh, and what's going to happen to it? You know the pavilion, it's right there on Torquay seafront with its bright green roof. It was opened in 1912 as a theatre. Uh, everybody who was anybody played there. Paul Robeson sang there. Dame Nellie Melba was there. I saw Ronnie Corbett there sitting in his big deck chair um, doing a one-man show. Uh, after it closed as a theatre in the 1970s, it became a shopping complex, then an ice rink. But it closed a decade ago and it's gradually fallen to bits ever since. Hundreds of people recently turned out to protest and demand action to save the crumbling pavilion. I talked to Paul Fraser, one of the organisers of the protest. Basically protesting against the ongoing neglect of Torquay Pavilion, which has now been closed for more than 10 years. We actually came across interior pictures of it recently, which were taken during the last survey of the building. 
and they show it to be in quite a shocking state inside now. It was recommended actually many years ago to cover the building to protect it from water ingress, which has been causing damage to the frame and the interior for many years, but that was not actioned. Mm-hmm. Um, two years ago, it was um, further said that that was the next stage to cover the whole building, to do a proper survey to work out costs. So this stage of the campaign is about stopping the pavilion from suffering any further damage by covering it and then actioning emergency repairs. And um, we believe that's the first step to getting the building back on track. We were in favour of the kind of attitude that the previous administration was taking. We're not a party political campaign, but the previous approach was to negotiate the surrender of the lease from MDL, along with a realistic contribution from their side, given that they are the leaseholder. Um, Our understanding was that those negotiations were in an advanced stage, at the time that they lost power from the council. Um, But now we're back to a situation where we're talking about enabling development, which is on the marina car park next door, as the way to sort of solve the situation. The talk is about bringing in a developer. Um, We, of course, tried this approach, the previous council before the last one, um, in the last decade, and it ended very, very badly. So... We're saying that we no longer have the luxury of the current council wasting our time on this. We need action and we need it now. It's all very well talking about developers, but do do we have the time to waste on this while the building sits there in a perilous state? So I think the council has quite a big role to play, and I think they need to listen to the people who are protesting about it. You know, I don't consider myself you know, an incredibly important person. I'm not a politician. Um, You know, I'm not a councillor. But I was born in Torquay. I love my town and I value and respect our heritage. And I campaign with other people who feel the same way. Well, the pavilion is an incredible building. It's extremely unusual. You know, you won't see another building like it pretty much anywhere. Um, It has a very, very colourful history and a wealth of history, you know, long before any of us were born. Some of the most famous acts um, ever have performed there, you know, Dame Shirley Bassey, Anna Pavlova, Edward Elgar. It reads like a who's who if you actually look at who has performed in that building. Um, As you say, we all have our childhood memories and it's in such a prominent position. You know, it's a listed building. It's in the heart of what is also a conservation area. It attracts a lot of people and you always get visitors passing by saying, why is this closed? Mm. You know, they're immediately attracted to it as the iconic building at the heart of our town. You know, these buildings matter to people. They are part of our identity. And without our past, we have absolutely no future. That's Paul Fraser, one of the organisers of the protest at the Pavilion. As you heard there, it's owned by Torbay Council. But Marina Developments Limited has it on a very long lease. Uh, Torby Council's Deputy Leader Chris Lewis, part of the Council's new Conservative administration, takes up the story. Incidentally, he's on his mobile phone uh, because the hosepipe band's just been lifted and when he's talking to us, Chris is outside giving his car a much-needed wash. It's no secret we're in negotiations with MDL at the moment. We're also in negotiations with developers uh, to see the way forward and, and that's quite far down the line now. So I'm quite optimistic that we will have a solution for the pavilion fairly fairly quickly. Um, I can see their point um, that, you know, for four years, virtually nothing was done. Uh, We've only been in power four and a half months, and we've moved a long way, I think, 
over those four and a half months. But clearly, it's difficult to make it public because it is commercially sensitive. Um, so I can see the frustration of people. But at the end of the day, bear with us, it's only been four and a half months. We are not going for a six-storey building, I can uh, assure you of that. We're, we're going for something that I think, well, I know, that the public will um, be in agreement with. And I, I hope within the next month or so we'll be able to do that. But we are uh, in talks with MDL, we're in talks with uh, uh, developers, and, you know, it will come out sooner rather than later. I mean, the thing about capping it with a, an umbrella, I mean, it went to the um, town deal board, and they're in agreement. I mean, the problem is, if you spend £2 million doing that, and you're about to do a deal with a developer, you're suddenly £2 million short on top of what you're already short. I mean, I've spent more time on the pavilion talking to people than any other project. That's Chris Lewis, the deputy leader of Torbay Council, with a lovely clean car. He's on the podcast again a little bit later as well. He is, isn't yeah, he? He's been busy. Guy this week. Busy, busy man this week. Uh, coming up later on, as we say, we're talking about the health of Torbay. We've got an Agatha Christie statue to talk about, and we've got levelling up coming. But first of all, a bit of a, a row going on in Oakhampton about boundaries, Ali. Yeah, so um, in in Oakhampton, there's a lot of residents on the east end of the town. A huge amount of buildings gone on there, um, and at the moment, it lies within Oakhampton Hamlets Rural Parish Council. But the the town council would like to incorporate it into their side of things. Um, they say they want to create community cohesion, and that all new households should be paying towards the facilities they use every day, like the town's parks, public toilets, cemeteries, and footpaths. There's about 700 new homes here that currently aren't with in Oakhampton Town Council's grasp um, but uh, although there's some criticism saying that it's a, a bit of a land grab um, the council saying that's not the case at all and uh, Oakhampton Councillor Julie Yelland tells us why they want this change. The town itself has expanded particularly into the east um, about, I think it's about 775 new homes being built um, and it's become you know, a fairly built-up area, to be honest. And the residents that live there, if asked, would tell you they lived in Oakhampton. All the services that are provided, um, not necessarily by the council, but but the town centre itself is where people come for shopping, for leisure, for food, if they're, if they're actually, you know, doing stuff in the town, plus there's the facilities as well that are provided by the town centre. Um, and so... In terms of just looking at how people can be engaged, have a voice, um, it, it, there is a need really to review the boundaries. For instance, you might have a couple of the estates have got a pair of identical semi-detached houses, but one of them will be in the town and one of them will be in the hamlets. So they'd be paying different amounts in their council tax. Um, the new primary school is part of it is in the town part of it is in the hamlets you know i mean there is just in terms of when you're looking at things like community cohesion there is there is none from the democratic side of things and that actually became quite clear when we were talking about the boundary review there were people who understandably lived in the hamlet said well why isn't the town asking our opinion we can't because they don't live in the town, we can we 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 serve you know the 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 council that people contribute um, or the part that comes to the town. Um, it, 
it, it means that the town council has to serve the residents within its own boundaries. That's the priority. And the same with all parishes, and that, that's the whole idea of it. You have your own parish, and your council, local council, serves the needs of the residents within that boundary. So that is one of the reasons, is looking at this community cohesion. Um, we've got things like we're trying to get a business improvement district set up. Um, which would encompass businesses both in the hamlets and in the town. Any decisions that are made that where we are maybe looking at possibly working together with any work that's done by a council, there are financial implications to that. So it would need to go to the town. It then needs to go to the hamlets. And if either party wants to do something slightly different, then it just drags out, makes the decision process much, much longer. So, you know, the, 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 there's lots of reasons. In 1980, about 1984, I think it was, there was, um, I think it was probably the Boundary Commission, whatever it was called at that time, did carry out a boundary, West Devon or borough-wide boundary review. And at that time, the recommendation was, among others, that the town council, the town council area and the hamlets should actually merge, interestingly enough. Um, that was Tavistock and Tavistock Hamlets, that was the same was there, and that went forward, Tavistock and the Hamlets went forward, um, but for some reason the town and the Hamlets didn't, I don't, I don't know why, we, we, have, we haven't been able to find that information out. So the proposal at the time in 1984 for the new boundaries is pretty much identical to what has come forward now. So, and that was from the Boundary Commission. So there clearly is or was an appetite, which is nearly 40 years ago, um, for the boundaries to be reviewed because I think that the powers that be understood that there was going to be development required going forward um, and that it, it should be perhaps a little bit better balanced. Obviously the Hamlets Parish Council is a huge geographical area of the town, only is about just about half a mile in any direction from the crossroads in the town centre. But the Hamlets is an enormous area and it's a rural parish council. It has rural hamlets in it, um, particularly sort of at Meldon and Southcott, which is on the western side. Um, and it is actually important that those are respected. The people who live there are understandably quite concerned. Um, and that rurality um, it's really important that that is actually respected for the, for the people who live there. Um, and I know West Devon have come back as a result of that consultation and they made a decision yesterday because quite a few people had, had suggested a merger in, in the first consultation. West Devon have now come back with a view of that it should be either no change or the change as the town council has suggested. So people will have their opportunity to be able to say which option they prefer. That was Julie Yellen speaking about why the Town Council wants the town boundary extended. So it has quite big implications for the hamlets if that does go ahead. Um, population at the moment is around 2,000 people, so there will be about half of that amount. Um, if the boundaries change, uh, it's a huge area, 15 square miles, as Julie says, um, and there is concern that the council tax will go up. There'll be less councillors in the hamlets and less money to spend on community groups in that area.
And people do feel very strongly about these boundaries, don't they? They feel they belong in a certain area. And, and when people come and start moving the boundaries around, because we've got parliamentary boundaries changing all over Devon, haven't we, for the we next have. general election? Yeah, we have. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's in, in Oakhampton, people don't quite know where they are when they live in that sort of middle bit. So uh, mm. I think, it, you know, maybe it's, it, it's a good idea, but that will be up for the public to decide feelings running high don't forget by the way we want you thinking about those names for those bin lorries um that they've they've just christened up in torridge we'll tell you the names they came up with towards the end of the podcast but uh yeah come on come up with your own ideas as well still to come we'll talk about the health of torbay uh we'll talk about a new statue uh being built in honour of Agatha Christie. But first, it's been all about levelling up this week, hasn't it, Ali? It has, and uh, it's all about Torbay, because Torquay is the town that is being talked about this week. It's joined the likes of Scunthorpe, Skegness and Grimsby in getting a share of the latest levelling up funding from the government for overlooked towns. Poor old Torquay. It has been in the past, but now it's going to get £20 That's winging its way to the town over the next decade to help the high street and tackle antisocial behaviour, amongst other things. Torquay was the only location in the south-west to get this levelling up money. Um, And Deputy Leader of the Conservative-led Council, Chris Lewis, here he is again, tells us how welcome it is. Yeah, absolutely fantastic news. We're one of 55, I think, in the country. And it's really going to boost the prospects for Torquay. We've got a number of projects, all of which we're a few million out. So hopefully this will help us and also help us in other aspects. As the uh, government has stated, this money to be used for transport, help crime, antisocial behaviour, which we've had around Castle uh, Circus and Union Street, and improvement to the, the general outlook of the high street in Torquay where we've got a number of empty shops maybe we can look and see and bring those back in as housing but it is very good news for um for Torquay and in addition to that we've also had the leveling up people down here in the bay discussing the next project which is a partnership we're one of the partners in the leveling up partnership and that's only 20 in the country so we're hoping for good news on that one also and I've always said that it's about working with partners, and that's exactly what we're doing. You can't have a better partner than the government who are giving you £20 million. But the leader of um, the Liberal Democrat group, Steve Darling, says the money's just not enough after years of austerity to sort out Torquay's issues. I, I think every little helps, but to be honest, we need to make it clear that this is a small amount of money. Um, when Torbay Council has had hundreds of millions of pounds stripped out of its funding uh, over austerity and beyond um, it's the equivalent of somebody stealing your wallet taking 96 pounds out of it and giving you a two pound back and expecting you to be grateful for it i i think if you look at the other um other towns that we're rubbing shoulders with it's clear that we have it's very sobering that we're rubbing shoulders with towns that have similar problems to, to us. Um, and it is a pittance uh, when you consider that it's hundreds of millions that we've lost out on since austerity. And it, it, you, know, you just have to be alive that 
Rishi Sunak, in an unguarded moment, has bragged about how he's been able to shift money when he was Chancellor away from more deprived areas such as Torbay uh, to uh, the more leafy suburbs of uh, elsewhere in the in England. It's an interesting one, this, isn't it, the levelling up, because they, they can't do right for doing wrong, no. really. I mean, there, there has been, as Steve Darling says, there has been... For over some years, the the amount of money that comes to the councils in rate support grant or whatever the new equivalent is, I, I'm showing my age there, um, has dwindled quite dramatically. But at the same time, you don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth when there's £20 million to be spent on regeneration. No, you, you really don't. I mean, it is a lot of money, but... <clears throat> like Steve says, you know, there's a lot of money that hasn't come in yeah. that they, they think they should have had. So whether it can sort out the problems, we'll it's, just wait and see. It's good news, though, as Chris Lewis says, to, just to have that money actually earmarked for a place that really needs it. On the face of it, that's really good news. So, it is good uh, news. Good. It is over 10 years, though, remember, so... That's a while. It's that's a go while a to way. spend it. Torbay's a complicated place sometimes, though. I mean, there are areas of extreme deprivation in Torbay sandwiched in between postcodes which have some of Devon's most expensive homes. Uh, in fact, there are parts of central uh, Torbay which are among the, the, the poorest areas in the whole of Europe, the most deprived areas in Europe. Uh, and it's a fact which was reflected in the annual report by the Bay's Director of Public Health. Dr Lincoln Sargent has been out and about talking about this. He says there are some aspects of the Bay's help which, health which make it an outlier and different from other places. And uh, there are ways in which people in the Bay can do much more uh, to reverse some worrying health trends. The concern is that in the under-75s, um, heart disease is probably our second leading cause of yeah. uh, death. And if you look overall for Torbay, one of the areas where we are a bit of an outlier is in the number of working age population that have a disability. And really? again, heart disease contributes to that. There's certainly a link between heart disease and deprivation. So no surprise, mm -hmm. the areas that are generally poorer are the areas where we would have more heart disease. And some of that then, um, if you look at some of the key risk factors, um, so for example, smoking is, is, a, is a major factor. If you look at smoking rates um, by social class, the kind of routine and manual employments have higher rates than, say, professional um, classes. And over time, the rates have fallen in both groups, but they have fallen much more quickly and much more steeply in professional um, groups than they have, say, in, in people with routine manual type employments. Certain things that uh, if people do, it, it helps to protect the heart. So clearly not smoking, or if you smoke, stop. Um, your diet. Uh, with the cost of living crisis, with other pressures that um, many households have, it's not that they don't know what a healthy diet looks like. Yeah? Yeah. The wherewithal to access that at a reasonable rate. And this is why one of the emphasis then is how do we look at that more as a community rather than just as an individual. And some really good stuff that's happening, say, um, in, in Plainmore with the community kitchen there and with that emphasis on coming together and um, helping people to access healthier food options, how to cook them you know, yeah. economically, etc. Those are some of the kinds of things that we need to be doing 
um, to help people to, to make those healthier choices. So yeah. there's, there's a lot, if, if you think about those risk factors we talked about, it's easier for an individual if they're in a community that's supportive. Mm. Yeah? So if you think about physical activity, if that's something you do in the community, if there are things that people are out walking or doing things together, then it becomes normalized. Um, where uh, people are sharing, if you think about allotments, community allotments, that kind of stuff, it means that people can band together, you can do something locally about uh, fresh fruits and vegetables, for example. Yeah? So there, there's quite a lot about not just looking at this as an individual's responsibility only, but thinking about how might working together with others um, help people to overcome yeah. some of these challenges. But there's a lot that we can do ourselves uh, to help with this, and there are resources available from the council, as Dr Sargent explains. We have uh, put quite a lot of local resources as part of this report. The report is online. We, we're doing an interactive report this year. Um, so I encourage people to go on, um, click, and you will see on the areas for prevention where we look at some of those issues, and we will signpost to some of the local initiatives. So if you think about physical activity, Toby on the Move is an approach that we're working together across several different sectors with several different partners around just promoting the wonderful natural environment that we have yeah. and around finding lots of opportunities for people to join others and, and be active. So the bottom line, is Torbay a healthy place? And if not, what can we do to make it better? There's still a lot of work to do. Um, most statistics uh, compared, say, to the other neighbours in the southwest would put us at the lower end uh, compared to lower um, uh, other local authorities. And as I was saying, that key statistic about one in four working age adults having uh, a level of disability um, that affects then their ability to work, um, affects our economic competitiveness um, as an area, for example. So um, there are areas where, you know, we, we are reasonably okay in terms of health but there's still a lot yeah. that, that we can improve on. That was Dr Lincoln Sargent talking about the the health of Torbay as he published his annual report. Still to come we will be revealing the names of those Torridge bin lorries. I'm, I'm on tenterhooks here Ali. Oh, I know. It's so it's exciting. Ex yeah, it? there you go. If you missed the beginning of the podcast, uh, Torridge Council asked local people to come up with names for four of its bin lorries. They came up with some really good ones, and we'll, uh, we'll have those at the end. But for now, let's talk about sculpture. Sculpture? An artistic person, mm, Ali? Well, I went to art college, so... Oh, wow. Sculpture you wasn't have done something... You should this one. <laughs> well, I, I, I did graphic design, so not quite sculpture, but I do. I am interested in all types of art. Oh, wow. Well, Agatha Christie, as we've said before, is without doubt the Bay's most famous person. Born in Torquay in September 1890, she wrote some of the best-known stories in the English language. The libraries are full of them. I believe she's the most borrowed author in library history worldwide. She created Miss Marple, she created Hercule Poirot, uh, but she was much more too. Historic photographs in local connections show her as a pioneer surfer, uh, a welcome visitor at a local school and a roller skater taking to the wooden boards of Torquay's Princess Pier 
uh, on skates. That's an amazing picture if you get to see that. There's an annual Agatha Christie Festival in Torbay, which has just finished. And next year, a new sculpture will be unveiled on Torquay Harbourside. And the creator of the sculpture has been talking to Torbay Council's social media team about it. Here she is. I'm Elizabeth Hadley, a local sculptor. I've lived in Brixham since 97. I, I really love the place. I love Torbay. I've loved just being so close to the sea. For a long time, I felt that there should have been a sculpture celebrating her work, her life. The fact that she was born and bred in Torquay, she grew up in Torquay. My design for the Agatha Christie sculpture will be Agatha sat on a bench with a dog just adoringly looking up at her. She's contemplating writing. She has a book in her hand and a pen and she's just being thoughtful. In the bench I'm going to bring some of her novels in slight relief for people to go around and look look for these books on, on the bench. So I'm just trying to weave that story in. I wanted people to be able to sit by her and enjoy thinking, oh, I'm sat next to the great crime writer while she's thinking about her stories. It's nice for people to interact with her and uh, feel close to her. The way I decided to dress her, most people think of her as in tweeds, but when you look at shots of her, even in her sort of later years, if it was a photo shoot, she'd look very glamorous and she was a dame. She was a uh, an influential woman, she was very intelligent, she wrote these brilliant stories known throughout the world. She really enjoyed wildlife, she loved her place of greenway, seeing the seals bobbing up and down the river, so she really loved wildlife and I thought that was really nice sighting her, looking out to sea, enjoying that. And for Elizabeth Hadley, the sea is the focus of another one of her sculptures which uh, you'll probably know if you've spent any time around Torbay. This one has become a real local landmark, as she explains. I did the Man and Boy project. I chose an etching which was produced by a local artist who died in the 1940s. And I feel very proud that I got to produce this uh, iconic sculpture for bricks and that has just become so important uh, for, for the town and uh, the fishing community. And it's become a, a memorial and a place for people to go and I feel really proud. I feel really proud of the people of Brixham because they raised the money for that sculpture. They really made that happen and I feel that connection with all those people. Dame Agatha travelled the world, of course, at the height of her fame, but she always came back to South Devon where lovely Greenway on the banks of the River Dart was her favourite place. You've been to Greenway? I yeah. have, yeah. It's great, when isn't it? Went there by boats. Oh, extraordinary. It's amazing Absolutely place, isn't it? Absolutely lovely place, yeah. Belongs to the National Trust now, of course. Um, but Dame Agatha spent a lot of time there. She was a keen animal lover, uh, devoted to her, her dogs, uh, one of which will be part of the sculpture. Uh, here's, uh, here's the sculptor again. She loved her dogs. Throughout her life, she had dogs. And I thought it was really nice to show that connection with her, rather than just to sat on the bench, just show that she really loved her animals. The particular dog I chose is the one out of uh, a Poirot story uh, with Bob. And the dog was actually based on her own dog, which was called Peter, which is like a little wired-haired terrier, which is why I thought that's a really nice connection. It's showing another side of Agatha Christie. Now this sculpture is bound to become a talking point when it's in, unveiled in 2024, but we don't yet know what it's going to be called.
people will maybe call it Agatha Christie's Bench or Agatha and Peter or Bob the dog. Agatha Christie contemplating. I think it will be left to um, other people to decide. And there's one more Agatha Christie mystery to be solved. Uh, again, as she tells the uh, Torbay Council social media team, in the sculpture, Dame Agatha will be holding a book. Elizabeth Hadley asked the council and uh, local people along with them which of the famous books it should be. And here's the answer. I just want to say a big thank you to everyone who's taken part in voting for the book cover. And I'm happy to announce uh, the winning title, which is And Then There Were None. And now I know the title, I can continue working on the sculpture. That was Elizabeth Hadley, who's going to be creating the sculpture of Agatha Christie, which will take its place on Torquay Harbourside next year. Ali, we've come towards the end of the podcast. What have you got coming up next week? Well... It's the famous Tavistock Goose Fair coming up next week. So uh, although I won't be here, I'll be in Birmingham. Um, Are you I, doing the course that I I'm didn't doing? Ah, the, I'll be go. at the course. But um, yes, I'm sure they won't miss me. Uh, Goose Fair will be heaving with people next Thursday. What oh, sorry, Wednesday. <laughs> got, the, got the day wrong there. What happens at Goose Fair? There's more to it than geese, I imagine. Well, yeah, there's not many geese involved these days. It's, um, it's a massive fun fair and street markets. Um, and uh, brings people in from all over the southwest, really, to for a nice for, for a good day out, just uh, meeting up with friends and enjoying themselves. But uh, it's quite a spectacle. Good stuff. Now, should we put people out of their misery with the names of these Torridge bin lorries, just to fill you in on the background? Only give us a little bit of background on this one, and then you can announce the names. OK, so um, Torridge District Council launched a competition to name four brand new waste and recycling lorries um, so that the competition formed part of the council's ongoing recycling awareness campaign um, and everyone in Torridge was uh, invited to uh, put put suggestions forward and so hundreds of entries were received and the four winning names have just been announced so here we go number one Optimus Grime by Nikki Jarvis. I like that one a lot. Okay. Uh, what about Bindiana Jones <laughs> from Joel Baker? And Bagatha Christie. Oh, of course. Yeah, there we go. That ties in nicely. That was Lee Kerr's suggestion. And last but not least, The Grim Sweeper <laughs> by Sadie Barnes. Great names. Good. Very, very inventive of people up there. Well done. Good work. That's it. For this episode of Devoncast, thanks as always for listening. Thanks, Ali. Devoncast will return very soon with more of the stories behind the county's news headlines. That's it. Bye for now. Devoncast from Radio X.